0: open your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. We've been looking at Judges, we've been looking at Gideon, a popular name, and we are continuing to look at Gideon. He will be the figure that we will be looking at probably in the next two to three sermons. So a lot is given to him in this book. In Judges chapter 6 we'll be looking at uh, verses Uh, 25 and following. And we'll get down to to probably verse 34 in this message. So uh, as we go to the Lord in prayer at this time, I want us just to pray that God will touch our hearts in a very special way. You know, we're here for a reason. It's not by chance. By choice that we're here, but God has us here for a reason. And so he wants the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to your heart and your soul. Not, not me, not me, but the Holy Spirit. He may use me as a vessel to bring the message but, and to read his word, but he wants to speak to your heart. He wants to speak to my heart. So let's just pray that we won't get in the way, that we'll let him speak tonight. Father, just thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, however you want to speak to us. I don't know, as I mentioned before, but you do. Whether it's with encouragement, as some may need that encouragement. Whether it's with a challenge, and some of us may need that challenge. Whether it's with conviction, as we may need that conviction. Or whether it's with teaching and instruction in some special way. We may need that. And I just pray that you'll just show us, that you'll deal with our hearts and our souls. Lord, just speak to us in a special way. Let this be a, I ask that you let this be a very special and wonderful time. A time where we can leave this place talking about you, excited about you because we have been face to face with you. This can only happen by your grace. And it's sufficiency, and so I just pray for that during this service. Special anointing from you, in Jesus' name, amen. Remember the Alamo. Boy, that call, you, you all have heard that before, especially read it through in some history books. That was a rally call for many in Texas. Why? Why? Well, the the Alamo was a small mission church in San Antonio. And in 1836, it became the scene of some very dramatic events. You see, Texas had decided to become independent of Mexico. Well, Mexico didn't like that. So they responded to this by sending uh, General Santa Ana uh, to the Alamo. And there was a small group of men, including the famous... Davy Crockett. You used to watch him on TV before he died, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know I, they, he was there, and they faced three thousand. They say Mexican soldiers. But with that, and with that facing them, came a very important, critical decision. You see, the decision involved surrendering, fleeing, or fighting. Those three. And Colonel W. B. Travis, he took out his sword and he drew a line in the uh, the dirt on the ground there. And what he said to them was, he said, I, "This is a step. This, whoever steps across this line, they will be willing to fight even to death if that's what it means." Well, all but one did. And all died for their courageous choice. That was a direct choice. And a uh, decisive choice. And you know what? Their courage aroused an entire nation, didn't it? And they remember the Alamo became a rallying call. A great battle cry. For the Texans as they fought the Mexicans. Now the courage of those committed men. Moved other men to courage didn't it? That's very important. The courage of them moved other men to courage. Well guess what. In chapter 6 of Judges. We've got a similar little Alamo here. With uh, none other than Gideon. And It is a very decisive moment in his life. It's a turning point in his life. One big difference, though, between the Alamo turning point and Gideon's experience is the one drawing the line. You see, with the Alamo, it was W.B. Travis. But with Gideon, it was God drawing the line. And this is so very important. God calls Gideon to step across and commit himself to his will. In this case, Gideon's choice did not bring death like with the others, but the choice meant the same. He didn't know. Once you make your choice, there should be no turning back. But unfortunately, there is some turning back for some. And we'll talk about that later. Because of uh, Gideon's courageous choice here, though, his nation was aroused to action. And we have, we've just seen in, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 24, that Gideon was just like all the others living in the nation, Israel. And that was, he was fearful he was in fear, in humiliation and, and fear. Gideon was hiding in a wine press we read about last week, threshing some wheat so the enemies wouldn't see him, so that he'd have a little bit of food. He was scared. He was fearful. And then a guest appeared. Gideon didn't know who he was at first, but the guest went on to tell him that he would uh, be a great mighty warrior. And he thought, mighty warrior, me? Here I am in this wine press. And he didn't see himself as that. And the guest went on to tell him that he would lead his people against the Midianites. And Gideon had his doubts, just like any of us do. So We prepared a meal for this special guest. Found out later that he was the Lord God. And that meant he had met him face to face. And so As been told and taught, he thought judgment may be upon him. But the Lord assured him that he didn't come for judging, but to empower him for service. And he promised his presence to be with Gideon. Now in verses 25 through 40, uh, God, or 34, God has some lessons of faith for Gideon to learn before fighting the army, the enemy. This is, is an important event in Gideon's life. And uh, it involves a profound spiritual principle, if you will, which will affect all believers. And we need to learn this. God is reminding Gideon and us that it is not enough to answer God's call in the privacy of our own life. That is not enough. No matter how sincere a response might come from us, private commitment must produce public service, which involves service for the Lord. So God calls us to identify us publicly and radically, if you will, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do I mean by radically? It means giving your all, being committed to Him, doing what He would have you to do, living, as we talked about on Sunday morning, uniquely under His authority. This is to be done in a way that there is no turning back. We shouldn't be turning back. For Gideon, that line, that crossing experience, is described here in Judges 6, 25 and following let's look at 25 through 35 now on the same night the Lord said to him take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old and pull down ooh man pull down the altar of Baal which belongs to your father and cut down the azureth that is beside it and what else and build an altar To the Lord your God, your God, on top of this stronghold in an orderly manner. And take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of Asherah, which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household... And the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. Now, you know, he wasn't totally as strong as he needed to be in the Lord, but we need not judge him for that because we do too many things privately, don't we? Or we want to keep private or we don't want to do it because we make excuses like, well, we might offend somebody or somebody might get turned off by this or that perhaps wondering how God would fulfill his words, Gideon returns home, and after dining with his family, he retires for the night. Now, no lengthy interview of time separates Gideon's call from the first task that we just read from the Lord that he's given him. That night, God appears to him and instructs him to destroy the altar of Baal. Then he is to build a new altar of the Lord on the wall of the village where it stands, where all can see, and then offer a seven-year-old bullock or bull belonging to his father. And this burnt offering will show Gideon's entire commitment, consecration to the Lord, as well as the means whereby he should be committed to him uh, in this task. And so uh, the first step preparation before the meeting meeting the Midianites it says remember you know we need to remember the previous scene. Gideon he's not you know real sure of being that mighty warrior God sees us thank goodness for what we can become and what he wants us to become instead of what we are and I thank God for that we look at just the opposite so often Gideon was weak he saw himself as weak discouraged defeated in verse 11 Hiding from the Midianites, doubting God. Remember, it was Gideon who asked a uh, guest why God had left them and uh, why he had left Israel, why he had not allowed them to be, or why he had allowed them to be placed in bondage, and why he had not delivered them. And, and he did, but, but one thing with all of this, in him asking God this, is he did not doubt that God could do those things. He just wondered why he hadn't done it. So as we come to this, God's meeting with Gideon began a healing process in his life, which he needed. God will do that with each and every one of us who are willing to allow him to work. With that healing process came a challenge, though. Gideon was to be God's man to deliver God's nation. Gideon was given a specific responsibility with that commission. And it was an an assignment with some basic lessons which Gideon could apply to all events that would happen or would come before battle. And so uh, the giving of the first assignment as we read this in Gideon's backyard was a vivid example of the reason God had allowed Midian to overwhelm and enslave Israel. He was letting him know. Joaz, Gideon's father, had apparently built an altar to Baal on his own property. With this altar an Asherah, a wooden pillar representing the Canaanite goddess of fertility was erected. So the shrine was not only for Joaz's family to worship, but it was big enough for the entire village to come. So Joaz probably was acting as a supervisor over it for the whole village to come and have this pagan worship. This was no tiny shrine tucked away. It was big enough for the village to see, and so when it was missing, the village could see that it was missing. Now, The first assignment was, before you can deliver your people, you must get things right in your own backyard. So many times we want to look at somebody else's backyard. Get rid of that. God hates, idolatry. Gideon's orders were straightforward. He was to take a young bull, which belonged to his father, and a seven-year-old bull, it says, and use them to tear down this massive Baal altar. Then he was to cut down the wooden asherah, and using the wood, he was to sacrifice the seven-year-old bull on the seven on the altar, uh, the new altar, unto his God. And he was to build for the Lord this altar on a high rock where people would see it and notice it. It was not to be hidden. So the divine meaning with the two bulls is very simple. The very bull that would have been offered to Baal was used in destruction of Baal's altar. This is what God can do. He will use the very things that the world will use to destroy their Baal worship, if necessary. The second bull was seven years old. And that was exactly the length of the Midianite oppression. But as Gideon offered the bull in faith to God on God's altar, the period of oppression ended. Isn't that neat? This had to happen before the Israelites could be delivered from bondage to the Midianites. It is the same today. doesn't change before we can have victory in our lives over sin or problems or habits that are defeating and discouraging us, man, we've got to take care of our own backyard. Jesus Christ must be the unquestioned Lord of our lives. There is no victory where idolatry or a divided heart is. There's no no, uh, victory there there can be no compromise we saw in these chairs the second chair is chair of compromise there can be no compromise what are we hanging on to in our lives that's what we should be constantly asking if if something is keeping us from victory what is the bail in our life whatever it is it must go Before God, will deal with the Midianite or the Midian in our own lives. Same principle today. The Lord will not allow any mixing or syncretism. None of that. The Lord's altar cannot stand alongside bells. We cannot have two together. The two cannot coexist. He alone must be Lord and King of our lives. Now, that means he and his authority must be authority in our life. Not our authority, his authority. Like we talked about this morning. If my commitment to the Lordship of Christ does not first affect my home life, it probably is superficial and hollow. Just making myself believe that I'm committed to the Lord if it's not totally to the Lord then I'm just I'm fooling myself maybe fooling other people but I'm not fooling God the place to start is in our own backyard now look at Gideon's response to his first assignment look in verse 27 then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him and because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. That night, Gideon took 10 of his servants and did exactly what God had commanded him to do. Now, when you get all, all these people involved, 10, and they're supposed to keep quiet. You think that they're going to keep quiet, especially when opposition arises and uh, it's pointed at, at them. They're going to say, well, Gideon told me to do it. I don't know how this got back, but uh, or it may have been just Gideon. Gideon was one. It may have been a combination of things. Gideon was one that did not bow to Baal. And so when this happened, the people probably knew, hey, he had something to do. And then asking the men, putting pressure on them, that may have come about. So we see that that night, He took ten of his servants. Gideon knew how much that Baal offer meant, Baal, offer, altar, (laughs) meant to the people. But he obeyed the Lord nevertheless. In many ways, God was asking Gideon, and this is why it's so important, to fight his most difficult battle. Why? Because it was at home. You see, oftentimes, the hardest place to represent Christ is before our own families and before our closest friends. Notice in verse 27, faith is not demanded by fearlessness, but by the obedience. He wasn't totally fearless. So if if you're still fearful when you're doing something just be obedient. That's what the Lord is asking you to do and and trust in him and he'll take care of you and you'll begin to see it. And so faith obeys even in the midst of fear here. Now, the people's response to Gideon's obedience. Look in verses 28 through 33 when the people's city arose early in the morning behold the altar bell was torn down. And the azureth, which was beside it, was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar, which had been built. They said to one another, who did this thing? And when they searched about and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joas, did this thing. You see? can You better be careful who you reveal your secrets to and, and who you pray with. Make sure it's a spiritual person that's willing to stand up for the Lord. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son so that he may die, for he has torn down the altar of Baal, and indeed he has cut down the Asherah, which was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because someone has torn down his altar. Therefore on that day he named him Zerubbabel. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he had torn down his altar. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east assembled themselves and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Look at the town people's reaction. It was predictable, wasn't it? Uh, Verses 28 through 30. Uh, Why? comments the worshipers of Baal never neglected their morning devotions. Early will I seek thee they would say. They could say to their God with truth and a good conscience I seek thee early. Well this morning there was a surprise waiting for them. When they saw what Gideon had done they were shocked. Wouldn't you be? Infuriated as they began to think about it outraged ready to kill him in verse 30 probably the most graphic picture of the total apostasy this is the saddest scripture just about in judges of Israel apostasy of Israel in the book of Judges look at there in verse 30 we see them crying about Baal being cut down and bringing our Demanding that that Gideon be brought out. How far they had gone in their hearts in depravity. Apostasy. Falling away from God. For God had done all of this and brought them out one time after another from bondage. But their heart so often was not renewed. They did not repent. They were only reformed outwardly. And so we see this sad situation. Their perspective perspective had become twisted here. Now, the father's reaction. Now, theirs was predictable. The father's reaction was surprising. But Joash said to all who stood up against him, Will you contend for Baal or will you deliver him? Whoever will plead for him, shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because someone has torn down his altar. Joaz had lost two of his sons to the Midianites, and he wasn't prepared to give up his third son. This shows his courage, and his knowledge of human behavior also, as he directs a challenge to the uh, villagers. He points to the Empathy empathy of uh, Baal, and says, if Baal is really a god and feels insulted by uh, many or by my son's excuse me by my son's actions, let him intervene in his own behalf. Why do you need to become involved? It is a matter between my son and Baal. Let Baal. Settle the differences with him. If a person attempts to set himself up against Baal, uh, above Baal and punish Gideon themselves, let him die who tries to set himself above Baal and thus deny Baal the right to punish Gideon as he sees fit. That's basically what he was saying here. I mean, what reasoning? God gave him this reasoning. And the people could not refute the logic of Joash's argument. And so what did they do? They dispersed. Gideon had been so fearful of his father and his family that he had, uh, you know, attacked the altar. And he did it and showed that he was so fearful because of doing it at night. Now the man who he most feared had become the greatest defender. Isn't that... Amazing. How often that is true. Our obedience to the Lord uh, can do great things in the life of the most unexpected people. People whose reactions that, that maybe we fear the most are often first to respond when they see the reality of the commitment to Jesus Christ in our lives. They change. God uses that to change people so often. Then we see the reputation that Gideon acquired. Therefore, in verse 32, on that day he named him Zerubbabel. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he had torn down his altar. Joaz had set up the test and the results were obvious. Verse 37 reveals this. Gideon had challenged Baal and lived to talk about it. To tell the story. Now Baal did not strike him dead. So what did that mean? Instead Gideon acquired a new name. Zerubbabel. Meaning let Baal contend. If Baal so tough let Baal contend. Baal. I am the Baal fighter. Or I am the Baal conqueror. That's the name he took on. And so every time the people looked at Gideon, what did they see? They had a visible proof of the weakness of Baal and the power of his God. God had made Gideon strong. And the victory in in Gideon's backyard was a great one. And this victory established him in the very eyes of his people as God's appointed deliverer. He needed that. Strikingly similar events happened in 1548. Some of you may remember the name John Knox, the great Scottish reformer. He was a prisoner on a French slave ship, and he was chained to the rowing bench and lashed constantly by the guards. He was there for a reason, and the reason was preaching of God's Word and refusal to submit to Catholicism. One day, the lieutenant brought aboard a wooden image of the Virgin Mary, and he demanded that all the slaves kiss it. Knox refused, and they pushed it violently against his face when they did this he grabbed it threw it overboard shouting let our lady now save herself she is light enough let her learn to swim when no divine judgment fell on Knox, two things happened here one is Never again were the believers required to engage in Catholic exercises against their wishes. And two, men began to look at Knox as their leader. Eventually, the Scottish Reformation was the result. Our courage to commit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ can be used by the Lord in the lives of others, even in the lives who oppose us the most. Tearing down Baal's altar was Gideon's first assignment. But it was only the first, for he has a journey. And we'll see this. He wasn't a perfect man. His faith was up just like ours and down. But look at God's response to Gideon's obedience here in verses 34 and 35. So the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and the Abba uh, Azrites were called together to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh and they also were called together to follow him and he sent messengers to Asher I mean, and Zebulun and to Naphtali and they came up to meet them. You see, the concept introduced in verse 34 explains to us the change in Gideon's character. What is that? The scripture literally literally reads, so the Spirit of God clothes clothes himself with Gideon. Now, what in the world does that mean? The word is used elsewhere to put a man's clothing on in Genesis 28, 20, and and also uh, to uh, put a warrior's suit of armor on in uh, Isaiah 59:17, we have the uh, the picture of the Holy Spirit wearing Gideon the way a man wears a suit of clothing. So, what does that exactly mean? Well, it's simple. It's a vivid picture of saying that God the Spirit took possession of Gideon, indwelling and controlling him. Two other times we have the phrase mentioned in the Old Testament in in Chronicles 12:18 and. Uh, you know, 2 Chron- uh, Chronicles 24, 20. And with these, uh, we see the Spirit of God coming upon David's brave soldier, Amasa, and then also Zechariah the priest who uh, charged the sinful people with apostasy and as a result laid down his life as a martyr. So Gideon's victory was directly due to the Spirit of God. We need to understand that. We don't work outside the Spirit of God, or we shouldn't. It should be under the guidance and control of God's Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, there's some very important things that we need to learn about the Spirit here. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was limited in extent. Now, what do I mean by that? The Old Testament believers were not all indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Not all of them were indwelt. Not like the New Testament. One of the greatest promises of the new covenant in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel is that one day all God's children will be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We know that today, don't we, as they come to believe. Second of all, the Holy Spirit's ministry was limited also in purpose. When we read about the Spirit coming into the lives of men in the Old Testament, it was for a special service or work that God had for that person to do. We read this with Judges. It's a perfect example here. Third, his ministry, the Holy Spirit's ministry was limited uh, in time. In other words, he, w- he didn't permanently indwell the believers. We know this as he, uh, you know, he did not with uh, Samson, nor did he with Saul. He left the Spirit, left them, it says. And then, fourth, his ministry was limited in effect. By that I mean when Gideon was clothed with the Holy Spirit, it was for the external man who was affected, not so much for the inner man. Not like in the New Testament where it's affected with the inner man. You you see, he was not transformed morally here, so much as externally with God's power to lead him and guide him. The Holy Spirit was uh, clothed man who would lead the nation, uh, you know, uh, the way that he would have them to lead. It didn't necessarily mean that he changed them morally. Matter of fact, in Judges 8, uh, we see that. Uh, one Holy Spirit, one man clothed with Holy Spirit, led the nation into apostasy. And uh, the Holy Spirit came upon him, Samson, and he made him physically powerful, didn't he? But he didn't change him morally. I mean, he continued to live in sin. And so... The Holy Spirit didn't always produce the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of the people indwelt in the Old Testament time for some reason or another. Now, in the New Testament covenant, we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit a little bit different. Different dispensation. He is unlimited in extent. Every believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God. If you're not, you're not one of His, Romans says in Romans 8 and 9. That's it. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're not one of His. Simple as that. Second of all, the Holy Spirit is unlimited in duration, or in purpose, excuse me. By that, I mean he's not given just for Christian service, but for life and living, as I talked about. He comes to change us. Third, the Holy Spirit is unlimited in duration. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit is, uh, you know, would uh, come and be with us forever. In Ephesians, we're told that he sealed us. To the day of redemption. And so fourth, the Holy Spirit is spiritual in effect. In other words, Holy Spirit's ministry in our life is evidence above all else by transformation in our character. Galatians five twenty two and twenty three tell us by the fruit of the Spirit. We we are you know we're to walk in the Spirit and and be changed and have a different uh, personality or or uh, action or or the uh, way people look at us and see us. They see us change from within by way of the Holy Spirit. The teaching of Scripture is clear. The same Holy Spirit who clothed himself with Gideon has also indwelt us, every child of God, with his presence. We can learn two significant les- lessons from the way God worked in Gideon's life. The Holy Spirit does not destroy our individuality. He didn't destroy Gideon. When Gideon was indwelt by the Holy Spirit, he remained Gideon, didn't he? He uses our personality. The Holy Spirit does not bring a dull conformity uh, into our lives, but the power to be what God calls us uniquely to be. That's so very important. Example, you know, look in our kitchen. All the electricity, all the electrical things. Let's say you had an old-fashioned radio. Let's say you had a refrigerator let's say you had a stove let's say you had you know uh, uh, something else electrical maybe a fan every one of them's with a different purpose in it every one of them unique the electricity when you plug it in doesn't change that does it now unplugged they're the same old dull things without any power (laughs) but plugged in That personality is used with different purposes. And he does that with us. God made us individuals. When the Holy Spirit empowers us, we will function as God intends us to function. But if we are not plugged in, we are the same old thing, doing nothing. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is directly related to obedience. The picture of the Holy Spirit, clothing Gideon, helps make the point, along with the New Testament, references of Ephesians five, eighteen, and Colossians three, sixteen. Clothing does not fight the wearer. It submits to the human body and, and moves with it. But the beings are not passive garments. We can quench the Spirit of God if we resist his work in our lives. I like what Howard Hendricks, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, used to Pray just about every uh, class time when he would come to class. He would pray, men, every morning I pray this. And then he would pray, Lord, here I am. I want to be your suit of clothes today. I want you to take me and use me. Lord, just walk around in me today. His prayer is a beautiful. Expression of the truth brought out in Judges, isn't it? Judges here in Judges 6, 34. The empowering of God uh, had an immediate effect in Gideon's life. And for seven years, the Midianites invaded the Israelite land, and they simply walked in and met virtually no opposition from the Israelites. But not this year, though, and the reason being because God had called a man, prepared a man, or is preparing a man, and empowering that man for service. Gideon blew the war trumpet, or he will blow the war trumpet. Men will rally around him. And, you know, uh, at First, the neat thing is it first came from his family, which he did not think that uh, they would fall in place. And then it brought other tribes. And three things that produced a change in Gideon's life up to now. Because you will see him go up in his walk, but you'll see him stumble along the way. And then you'll see a tragic experience in his life. First of all, he had, and this is so very important, first-hand contact with the Lord. Saw him face-to-face. You see, we need that contact with the Lord every day of our lives. We need it to be consistent. He decisively and publicly committed himself to the Lord by an act of obedience. Are we submitting our lives to the Lord as an act of obedience? He had come under the control of God and the Holy Spirit. Are we praying for God's control every day? God, control me. Control me means filling me, being in charge of my life, me being under your authority, me allowing you to... Show me what to do. Tell me where to go. Work through me the way you so desire. It was not his might or power that brought the victory about in Gideon's life. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, God was glorified through Gideon's weakness. Through his weakness, God was able to show his strength. And that's so much in our lives. God, I just can't do it. Well, I know you can't do it, but I can do it through you. God has given us guidance in this training manual. And what he tells us to do, we are to do in obedience and do it then. To live that way. When we do God's work in God's way, then he goes before us, as Proverbs tells us, and makes our path straight. And we know that we're doing what God would have us to do does that mean that we're without mistakes no but for God to use us we must first deal with sin in our own backyard we need to deal with that first and when God empowers us others would notice that and join in but we need to be obedient well Lord I'll let you have part of my life but I'll keep this bail over here I'll keep this. You know, I I don't want to give up this. I I don't want to give up this time or this person or this thing. It doesn't work that way, does it? If we want God to work in our lives the way he so desires to work, then we've got to give 100%. Like what one person put, how he put it. He said, Gideon committed to obey God mostly. As we will see in the next chapter, his commitment was partial, not total, unfortunately. What if 90% obedience were our goal? What if we were even proud of that? Think about that in other areas. What would 95% efficiency look like? What, let's just say the telephone company were 95% efficient. You would have a telephone service for one hour and 12 hours. Minutes every day. Or no telephone service for one hour and uh, 12 minutes every day. Could you imagine people going crazy over that? that carry their phones around? It would be a good thing, I I think. (laughs) What about, they say, uh, this page that he's written, he says. If that were true, he said it would have 16 misspelled words. Oh, some people would go crazy over that, wouldn't they? Over 28 million pieces of first class mail would be lost if that was so. Wow. Every day. Yeah, (laughs) that happens. Likewise, you would have no electricity for cooking, refrigeration, or computers for one hour and 12 minutes every day. Oh, no. The world is coming to an end. Your automobile would be in the shop 18 days every year. Doctors and nurses would drop 175,000 newborn babies every year. You would have unsafe drinking water for 18 days every year. Hospital life support systems would be unable to function 18 days out of every year. And then he goes on, he says, there's no joy in a partial walk with God. Wow. Being a double-minded person characterized by instability is unhappiness and unfulfillment. A person with divided commitments have enough of the world in him that he cannot really enjoy the things of the Lord. Enough of the Lord in him that he cannot fully enjoy the things of the world. To which he has given himself. Consequently, he is miserable and unstable. Wow. Can Hang on to one and hang on to the other and be fully fulfilled in the Lord. Let's go to the Lord and pray.